0: Hello and welcome into another episode of the Defend the Den podcast, your home for everything Capital Christian Cougar athletics talk. My name is Matt George from Sports 1140 KHDK. You should know it by now. We are joined by head coach Casey Taylor of the men's football team here. And uh, we actually have a full house coach because it's not just you joining me in here today like it normally is. We also have Joe Davidson of the Sacramento Bee and Jason Harper, who's uh, the head of player development with Capital Christian. So we're going to introduce them later on in the program. But coach, we have to start with you because... First off, let's start with congratulations are in order. The Capital Christian Cougars have clinched the number one seed with their fifty-six to fourteen win over Natoma's, and barring a uh, a loss to Mesa Verde here this week, you guys will be the champions of the G.E.L. So, congratulations.
1: Thanks, Matt. Yeah, we were proud of our guys. Um, like I said, we, you know, had an up and down there early going on. And we knew these last four games were going to be really key, and could we really lean on uh, some of the great competition we played? And the guys have been go- playing outstanding. Uh, wanted to get off to a good start, and we did again. So um, I was real proud of our guys, a great team effort. Um, we were very uh, fortunate to get one of our quarterbacks back, uh, Jay Cruz, who has been uh, struggling with uh, some CIF um, eligibility issues. We found out last Friday that um, you know he'd be cleared, and it was just great for him. He's been through a lot, and it was great to see him suit up and uh, get it done. And him and DJ played and did really good. Um, well, they had a great night passing. We were 7 of 10 for 107, a couple touchdowns. A nice touchdown to Trey Jones and Maurice Gaines had a, a real nice catch. Uh, Jake's first uh, first pass was to him. It was great. Um, DJ did a great job. He was 6 of 8 for 76 yards. And uh, Jake, uh, we got up a little bit. He only threw a couple times, but he, his first pass was for a touchdown, so we were real happy for him. But our line did outstanding again up front. And DeMarcus had another big night. He had 12 carries for one, four, 157 and four touchdowns. And you know, a guy that really had a great game was Michael Urea, uh, Williams. He plays both ways for us, and he um, came in late in the game in the second half, and he had one carried, but that one he went 68 yards for a touchdown, which was awesome, but he did great on defense. He had a, he had a safety for us on there. He had two fumble recoveries, and uh, he was all over the field making tackles, so it was great. Uh, our defense played outstanding. Our defense coordinator Mike Kravitz did a great job of really uh, getting after the quarterback. Um, you know, going in like we said last week, they uh, were averaging over thirty-five points a game and throwing for a lot of yards. And we really, really made an effort to really put some pressure on him. Uh, Will Buck, one of our uh, great lineman, two-way guys, great captain, team leader, had five sacks to really set the tone up front. And Khalil Foyer, one of our uh, safeties, had a had a, p- a pick for ninety uh, at the one-yard line and returned it ninety-nine yards for a touchdown. So it was a uh, it was a big play. But um, yeah, I was just real happy of the effort, you know. We've just been uh, getting getting healthier, um, getting more confident the last three weeks. I'm real excited where we're at. We have a big game Friday at home senior night um, you know with that and uh, you know our last home game of the regular season win you know we can win the GEL outright but um, you know just really starting uh, by by winning on Friday we'll have a home game for the first round of the playoffs and that's like I've been saying all years uh, what it's about you know the new season will start that following week and uh, we're excited to be home that first round and we just want to continue to have a great week of practice this week compete start uh, just doing, doing little things in the classroom and you know in the community and doing what we've been doing on the field and getting better and uh, hopefully have a, a, a healthy week this week where nobody gets hurt. We kind of fine-tune a few things and uh, get ready to go and try to make a run here in the playoffs, here in this Division Five playoffs, and we're real excited. Also, Friday, you know, with Mesa Verde, we're going to have that open house we talked about last week, which uh, it's going to be awesome, so we hope to have a big turnout for that. It starts at 4 p.m. We're going to tour the campus, and um, I'm sure some of our guests here will talk a little bit more about it, but just a great opportunity to see what um, capital has to offer, you know, and uh, we're real excited about having a great week and uh, really, really um, you know, getting after it Friday night and having a big crowd.
0: Coach, we talked a lot about this uh, Natoma's matchup last week, and and the the implications and what's to play for and what's at stake heading into this game. Obviously, we know you knew about it, and the coaching staff knew about it, but of course, the players knew about it as well. So after they stepped off the field, knowing uh, that they had clinched that number one seed, what was the feel with them amongst the players in that locker room? Well, we were real
1: excited. You know, real excited. That was our goal. You know, one of our first goals on our list was to win the GEL, and I think um, you know our guys have really been looking at that over the last few weeks. And um, you know, we knew we were playing a tough team in Natoma's, and. I, I think we really knew we had to answer the bell. We talked about them scoring a lot of points and didn't want to find ourselves behind or um, be catching up. So, uh, you know, one of our focuses was really getting off to a great start, and we did. We had a great first half, and, uh, you know, we're excited, you know, but we also have a lot of work to do, you know. I told the guys real proud of the effort, real proud of where we're going, what we're doing. We're getting healthy at the right time, um, getting some guys back like in Jake. And, uh, you know, we have a great JV team that uh, has a chance to be 8-2 and two next week, and uh, they've been doing outstanding. We have A few of those guys going to come up for the playoffs also. So. So we're excited where we're at, and we feel we're clicking right at the right time, and we've been working on that. So I think they're starting to see that. But I think more importantly, just uh, over the last four weeks, I think we're getting better weekly doing the little things, and we still have a lot of improving to do, don't get me wrong. And uh, we're hoping this will be our best week of practice and our best week of preparation, and uh, we can get off to a good start against a good Mesa Verde football team.
0: And, Coach, you mentioned the – the fears of potential injury as as you approach playoffs. Now you look onto uh, playoffs, and we're going to talk a lot about the playoff system and the seeding system with Joe Davidson here when we come up uh, with him in just a little bit, Uh, but specifically you look at this Mesa Verde game and you know, okay, we already have the number 1 overall seed clinched. Is there any temptation at all to maybe take it easy this week uh, going into that last game looking uh, towards playoffs or are you wanting to continue to hit the ground running and and treat every game like it is a championship
1: game? Every game is a championship. You know, every game is opportunity like I said we got to continue to get better you know we're not we're not we have a long ways to go with that um, you know Mace Verde's a, uh, they had a bye last week also so they've had another week off to where you know they're putting some things in and prepping they've got a you know three guys that really stand out on film for us uh, Jordan Jenkins has been this all over the film a real uh, good linebacker for them Jason Costa and Justin uh, Snyder some of their offensive running backs and receivers and they play really well and they've had some good games this year where they've uh, held down some good good offenses and uh, they've scored a lot of points and i uh, Um, Their coach, Justin Llorente, is a great guy that's got some Capital Christian connections. And, uh, you know, we're expecting a great effort for them, you know, for them to beat us, would make their season. And uh, we will not overlook them. And that's going to be a test for this team. You know, like I said, we've been, uh, you know, we've been trying to mature all year and do those things. And I think we've gotten better over the last few weeks. But we've had a lot of hiccups down the road. And uh, this will be a great opportunity for them to not get caught up. Uh, we talked about it for the homecoming game with a lot of uh, great things going on on campus that can cause distractions. Our guys did a great job. So I'm hoping through, you know, again, all of our adversity we faced this year, our guys are going to be focused and uh, going to celebrate our seniors who have done a good job. But, uh, you know, once we take the field, we really want to get off to a great start and, you know, really get out and show that why we're the GEL champs and, uh, you know, really get some momentum and really carry on into the, to the first week of the playoffs where it counts, where if you, you win and go home.
0: We're going to take the break. When we come back, Joe Davidson of the Sacramento Bee, really the Sacramento high school football guru, joining us coming up here next. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back in the Defend the Den podcast, Capital Christian Cougar football talk with head coach Casey Taylor. We got a full den here today. Head coach joined by Joe Davidson of the Sacramento Bee and Jason Harper, our head of player development at Capital Christian. And we'll introduce uh, Jason and chat with him here in just a little bit. But right now, thankful and lucky to have Joe Davidson. He's spending some time with us today. And if you don't know Joe or if you don't follow Joe on Twitter and you, you call yourself a Sacramento area or Placer area, high school football fan or high school sports fan in general uh you're not doing it right joe davidson is the guy that you need to follow he's got all the news all the updates on everything high school sports especially high school football in the area and joe is is uh nice enough to join us here uh this morning on the uh, capital christian cougar defend the Den podcast so joe first off thank you so much uh for taking the time and spending it with us
2: oh good to be here and i'm only here because jason harper has got a blown out knee and he he needed um you know morale boost and confidence boost and uh I would have said a lesser man went down, but he went down. So, no, it's good Thanks, to be here. Sir. And uh, one of the great things about high school sports is you get to know people like Mr. Schumann over mm-hmm. here and, and Casey Taylor, known Casey for a long time, and Jason Harper. And I remember going to games on Thursday nights um, Oh, back in the in the early, ni- mid-1990s, and there would be this young Casey Taylor with a clipboard uh, as an assistant coach at Oak Ridge, his alma mater, and he was soaking up every game. Every tendency, They weren't even going to play this team on a Thursday night, like a Mira Loma game at uh, at, at El Camino High School. But there was a guy who was hungry to, to learn as much as he could, and uh, so it was kind of fun to see him you know, climb up in his career. And And um, it's a great story. When he got hired, he was um, trying to get a head coaching job some 16 years ago, had uh, good references, been a, a really good assistant coach at Oak Ridge and over at Rockland. And so here he is at Del Oro, the storied program already, and he was working so hard in front of this whiteboard going over schemes and formations, and he was sweating right out of his shirt, shirts untucked, much like it is right now. And the um, they loved it. I said, I think this is our guy, and had a great career there, great championship run, and then jumps over to Capital Christian. We were talking off the air, how far has football come? Well, several years ago, there's no way an accomplished coach like Casey Taylor would even consider a small school. But these small schools – have big-time ambitious ambition. They have big-time players. Um, they, they have a, a big-time picture of, of what life is all about. Harper's very in, instrumental in that. So Capital Christian isn't the, the little kid sister anymore, the kid brother. It, it is a, a player um, in Division Five this year, but Realignment will move that school into a powerhouse Division Three lead next year. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Case, but I think that league will have Capital Christian, Christian Brothers, Vista Del Lago, Del Campo, and Sac High. That is a terrific collection of, uh, of teams there. So, yeah, Real
1: Americano is going to be in there, too. He's yes. having a great year also with Sammy Strotter. So, right. Yeah, another one. So
2: that's uh, – and I don't want to speak for Coach Taylor here, but he doesn't take that job if that wasn't part of the future plans um, um, because you won some Division Three section championships at Del Oro against Oakdale, and Division Three is no joke. And this level of football, it used to be for years – remember, Division One was so much better – than everybody else. Now division one and division two are the same. Hmm. In a lot of ways, the division three teams. I mean Sac High can compete with anybody. Uh Capital Christian has shown it this year and will continue to show it next year. And Christian Brothers has had some players and Del Campo could be a, a one, two or three seed in division two, um and has been division three before. Yep. So Yeah, some good stuff brewing down the road.
0: Well, I mean, for you, who Joe, you've been ingrained really so well-rooted in this area for such a long period of time. Watching these high schools grow, that's got to be something incredible for you to watch to see how everything's expanding. So you've been kind of on a sidelines view with the rise of head coach Casey Taylor and and different programs all around the area. Um, Let's talk about your background a little bit, though, Joe. Like A lot of people know who you are and and know you're a great follow for updates, but don't really know how you got started and what? What fueled this passion that you have for high school athletics in the Sacramento area?
2: Uh, Grew up in um, the—my high school years were up in the northeastern corner of Oregon, way up in the high mountain country. Lived 40 miles out of town, uh, out in a big farm, and played high school football in the secondary. Also ran track. Uh, I still have my high school mile record at 426 in the mile back in the day I, I couldn't run quite like jason harper and i would hug a trash can after every race so that uh, I, I couldn't handle the, the that but um and so during the winter uh, my junior and senior year i wasn't playing any sports and we have a once a once a week newspaper in wallow county up there in oregon it's called the wallow county chieftain so i went in there to go talk to the publisher his guy named rick swart and he's an older fellow and i nervous and i'm sweating i looked like Casey taylor i had my shirt untucked and sweating and didn't have a whiteboard and i said hey can i i would like to submit articles on some basketball teams i, I know sports and and he light, lit up a cigar and he dragged it made me sweat and he goes okay we'll give you a shot i'm not going to pay you oh i don't want to get paid and um which was a lie of course i wanted to get paid but uh, get paid by pizza and that's what got me hooked on it and my dad lived in davis my parents were divorced and so I went, to, um, moved down there and went to school, uh, Cosumas River, and then later um, Sac State, and got started at the Davis Enterprise when I was a freshman in college um, in 1984. And just same thing, just barnstormed in there. I could do things for you. I could cover these things. And then started at the Sacramento Bee in 1988 and have not left. And we've seen um, technology has changed. The whole scope of high school football has, has changed. And, and it's, it was really good then uh casey played in it back in the 80s um but it's it's better now than it's ever been and i think the state championships have helped elevate all of that
0: joe be careful because you're you're in the den you're surrounded by a bunch of cougars but your honest thoughts and and just on the capital christian uh, football team this year and their program as a whole and where they're going
2: we did a story earlier this year on on that and um i I was joking with casey taylor and jason harper and said you know i've never been to a Capital Christian game. I mean, you know, I I have been, but I haven't been for a regular season big showdown game. And saw them be, uh, play Grant and uh, Capital Christian held with Grant muscle for muscle, play for play, would not get bullied, did not get intimidated. Had the athletes to match, uh, thin at quarterback. Um, Casey's unique. He likes to play seven to ten quarterbacks a year or something <laughs> at least this year with injuries. But that just showed me right there. So this this team can do some things, and um, the. And I think Casey found out, you know, nobody feels sorry for programs that have injuries. You just got to keep going forward. And Christian Simmons, one of the best players in the section, went down in the second game um, with a broken leg. That was that was a big loss, but um, took a couple losses, but only one loss local, one loss in California it was to Grant. And we know how storied Grant is. And the other two losses were out of state. Um, I think that will show well when the section playoff seedings come out on Saturday. Um, and I would think that. Capital Christian should be the favorite. They'll they'll downplay it over here in the den, in in Division Five. But that's an example of, uh, and I love the ambitious scheduling. Let's take on anybody, and let's let's see if Jesuit wants to take us on. Let's to, uh, let's go play um, Oak Ridge in the season opener next year, and those kind of things. So, ambitious scheduling's always been part of Casey Taylor's DNA, and and I think that's going to elevate um, the whole scope of intrigue for Capital Christian.
0: And uh, Capitals' record speaks for itself: six and three overall, four and zero in, in league. Maybe the most impressive: four and one on the road. Uh, Coach Taylor has done a good job, and we've talked about it throughout this year, uh, trying to schedule up the best uh, and play against the best teams—teams teams that are better than you or are considered on a higher level than you, because you're not going to get to that level unless you do that. And, and Coach talked about how he could make it easy on himself, and he could make it easy on the team to go undefeated if he if he scheduled down or scheduled teams that he knew uh, he was better than. So uh, his scheduling speaks to uh, why. I, he wants this this program to grow, which I think is very impressive. Which is what you mentioned, Joe. Uh, but the the playoff seeding system you mentioned that as well, and that's something that always is a little confusing for for those who don't necessarily understand the ins and outs and how it works. You know it very well, so can you uh, explain to us or, or for us really how the seating system works and how that affects Capital Christian here?
2: Yeah, the playoff seeding um, it's it's probably pretty complicated if we really boil it down, but basically. Strength of schedule is important. Total wins is important, of course. Um, um, you know, non-league strength is important. Um, Casey found that out two years ago. His team went four and six at Del Oro, played a brutal Sierra Foothill League schedule, played a brutal non-league schedule, and um, the section understood that this is a unique four and six, seated in four or five, yeah, five um, okay. and and I think even. Um, Casey and Delora was a little surprised but understood and then ran the table and won the state championship knocking teams um, off the you know the whole way he had to do a lot of it on the road once NorCal hit but um, that's an example of strength of schedule and so um, I think Casey's Capital Christian team will probably get a pretty good high seed in Division 5 and there'll be some emphasis on Capital Christian's overall body of work playing Grant playing two teams out of state as compared to other teams in Division Five that don't play anybody outside their own immediate area, and then the bottom line is you got to go out and win games. You just go out and win. You, you take the seating you, you you get, and you and you go out and play. And I know that the rest of Division Five is thinking, "Can we get realignment now? We don't want to deal with these guys," which is a sign of respect for the program and and those kind of things. So, um, and football, you know, we were talking about this earlier, Matt. But the the state playoffs didn't come into effect until two thousand six. And California was the last state in America to finally adopt a state playoff, and it took forever because there's there's so many different enrollment breakdowns. And Casey's had teams that went down to the state CIF finals in Southern California and played Bakersfield that had almost twice as many students, but they're 34. they're classified Division Two down there. Another time you played Helix Helix of yeah. San Diego that had considerably more enrollment. And how is that? How is that so? Well, the enrollments are all different. in in the northern part of the state way up to the oregon border they don't have any division one schools and so your largest schools only have about 1500 students down in the bay area the enrollments are different so there's no way to well you got to make them all enrollment based there are some schools in southern california long beach poly that have five thousand students um so but so they got the state playoff started in 2006 and it was with three divisions and they have now flushed it out to more divisions to get more teams in and there was a, a stretch there where if you won a section championship, you could be 13 or 14-0 and you don't advance because it was done in backdoor meetings. And let's debate on who had the best strength of schedule. Too difficult. Uh, and so they said, okay, now if you win a section championship, you have earned a regional game, Southern California, regional, Northern California, regional. I think it's a great idea. And some people may argue, we hear it every year. It's too many games, too many games. And there's not too many games. You only have a select few teams playing that many games. It's not everybody playing and you're not going to shave off games off the regular season. Nobody wants to lose regular season games because that's for gate receipts and revenue. Uh, so I think the way they have it now is terrific. You win a section championship, you have earned a shot to play for regional. If you win that, then you play in a state championship. And the it's grown because of the demand. The, there's there's just rampant popularity. Social media helps it. And this is a, a state that has terrific football, large schools, medium schools, small schools.
0: Joe, let me t- uh, put you on the spot here really quick. Are there teams or do you have any picks for your your D1, D2, and D3 uh champions or teams that you like uh, heading into all those divisions?
2: Well, we have a great showdown. Sacramento will be number 1, Folsom playing at number 2, Oak Ridge. The winner there will be the number 1 seed in Division 1. And then the loser should be the third seed. And then the second seed will probably be St. Mary's, which is the defending champion. Let's say for the sake of argument, Folsom wins. Whoever wins Friday between Folsom and Oak Ridge will be our section Division 1 champion, I think. So I think that's going to be a great game on, on Friday. Uh, Sheldon and Jesuit are also teams to look for in Division 1. Division 2, is really going to be good del campo um intercom sack high central catholic are all loaded granite bay rockland division three vista del lago oakdale's probably the favorite and then christian brothers division four is probably placer at, as we speak right now um in division five i'm going to go with capital christian even though mesa verde will beat them on on friday yeah, i'm right. just kidding <laughs> um but no they uh these are all you know we entered the season how good is this season you know, Folsom graduated a lot. Oak Ridge returned a lot. It's still a good year. Mm-hmm. And, oh, we don't have a mega power. Well, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. We do know that the best team in Northern California remains De La Salle. Has not lost a, to a NorCal team since 1991, which is amazing. That's 286 games ago. Wow. And sometimes we get people say, oh, well, Folsom should be the number one seed in Northern California. No, not until De La Salle loses. In case you know, De La Salle, having played them two or three times, three times. Three times. And one thing that have you jump in here casey one thing you always said is they de la Salle plays hard and they play with class they don't rub it in and they're gracious hosts or gracious visitors which is a terrific testament to a powerhouse team and people thought oh they're a private school Listen, well they they do it the right way
1: there's no doubt we i know when we played them we played down there the first year and just was as soon as you pull onto the camp it's very small it's uh unassuming. In, unassuming and they wouldn't think it was much uh going there but as soon as you pull in they got people greeting you getting everything there it's just uh it's first class not only did our players learn a lot you know our coaching staff and our support staff learned a lot and just really you know set the bar you know we thought we were probably a couple touchdowns you know get get within that hang, hang around a little bit and found out real quick uh we got off to a 3 nothing start and probably should have hopped on the bus and got out of there because 41 <laughs> points later we were Walking back, uh, kind of like a Yankee doodle coming off the battlefield, you know. But, um, yeah, they're just very impressed with all what they're about and uh, first class. And there's, you know, it's, there's a reason why they've had so much success that they've had. When
2: you When you, ambis- you schedule ambitiously, like you went to um, out of state twice and got handled once on the road, um, you know that could happen. Um, and I guess it still helps accelerate the learning, but but you can learn from Crushing defeat, too. There's
1: no doubt. You know, I think, you know, um, like we've talked on the show here, you know, we, it gives a chance to face some adversity. You know, everything's great in life and in football when you're winning every game and scoring. A uh, good example is the Iron Atomis game last week. We had a lot of success, but you go break down the film and we got a lot of work to do, you know. And I feel the best best chance to learn during adverse times. And if you can create that, I mean, you want to go into these games against good teams and really have a good game playoff atmosphere section championship type of atmosphere game against great people and you want to find a way to win and you're always going in hoping you can win and feel you can, but if you do take the wrong side of it and get beat around a little bit, really get exposed and see where you got to get better. And I think especially where we're at, um, not playing those teams and having some talent that we have and thinking maybe we're a little better than we're at, I think it's been great for us. And I think if you've watched us play over the last uh, three weeks, you can tell we're a lot more physical and uh, we're a lot better than we were because of that. And uh, you know, and, and it hurt us off the field too. You know, We may have made a lot of mistakes, uh, of really, you know, pointing fingers and learning, learning, hey, we got to count. We got to work on our team chemistry. We, we got exposed on a lot of levels, on and off the field. And I think it's really had been an opportunity for us. We got to get back together and work on a lot of aspects of our program and, you know, staff and players to get to where we want to go. And I think if we would have um, just, like, you know, played who we thought we could beat and be 10-0 and 0 and thinking we're a little better than we are, I don't think we would, we'd find and out. Let's, in, let's face it. we find out
2: in a couple weeks. These kids, uh, they're prideful kids. Um, they got ego. And sometimes to get knocked around, it's good for them. I humble them. Say, hey, you know, you're not as good as you thought you were. But no you can go out and do something about it. That's the great thing about sports is you can get back to work and, and see how you recover. And, and your Delaware team's always responded and recovered. And, you know, um, Capital Christian's done that this year as well.
0: And I think it's a great time uh, now to introduce uh, Jason Harper, the head of player development for Capital Christian, because you talk about it, Coach. uh, Those those programs that are trying to develop and grow constantly year by year, and and you can do that in many different ways with strength of schedule or with uh, recruiting, trying to get out better players. But a lot of it is is your player development. Uh, But Jason. You don't just handle what they do on the field and getting better on the field. It's also a lot of what uh, Coach Taylor's philosophy is, is off the field as well. So can you talk about really what you do and what you try and bring to the table for this program?
3: Yeah, I think one of the keys from the very beginning is – uh, realizing that bulk and whole of their life is going to be played not on football, but on life. And we want to teach our athletes how to win in the locker room, how to win in the family room, how to win in the boardroom of their jobs in the future. And so we want to teach traits. We want to teach mindsets that help them to be tenacious, resilient, get through the adversity that Casey talks about. So I'm very passionate about that. I think my favorite day of the week is Thursday because that's the day that we do our character development in the evenings. And uh, we have an opportunity to sit with the students and really challenge them on the the way that they have a worldview. How do they see themselves? How do they treat other people? Uh, we, we t- talked about being exposed on some areas. Uh, we, we welcome that because when that happens, it shows how you can get better. It shows where you need to kind of critique your messaging and make sure that the narrative is fitting them where they're at. I love meeting with guys one-on-one. I love meeting with their families. I love tracking their grades with uh, Shreen Groover who does all of our academic tracking. And it's just amazing because you can see kids that are putting in the effort in the classroom, it's gonna pay off on the field. And, uh, you know, so whether it be that Thursday talk or whether it be grinding them in an early morning workout, it's I like to say that if it's not about X's and O's, that's what I want to be involved with. I don't know football. I just know people. And I love the kids. I love them desperately. And, and I see, I see when, they're, when they're working hard, they're getting better, and they're becoming better men. You know, uh, One of the things we talked about is chemistry. We're, we, have a, we have a chemistry that we're trying to build because the team has formed, but we're still in that storming phase. You know? Casey's implementing new offenses and new defenses, and it's a new coaching staff. And it's a, everything's new to these kids, to so many of them. Many of them are new to the school. And so to see all of that and pull it together and go, okay, well, how, how is our roadmap going to take them to the next level? That's what uh, I think makes the difference.
2: How long have you known Casey Taylor? Tell us about your roots and, and, and what kind of guy he was as a young oh, guy. Man.
3: So I met Casey probably around 1980-ish, uh, about 30-something years ago. Uh, he was nine years old. I was eight years old. And we were playing Little League together. Our dads coached us in baseball. And uh, Casey was always like a big brother figure to me. And uh, love him dearly. And so we graduated high school together, kind of went our separate ways in life. He went off to college, I went off to college. And then in around 2000, 2001, I started watching him coach up at Oak Ridge and, and kind of get involved up there. But um, <clears throat> it was in 2005, we launched Character Combine and I had watched him coach for years. And I saw that he was a guy that wanted to do it right on and off the field. And it wasn't so well described as we're doing now, but I said, that's the kind of guy that needs to be honored. So at character combine first year we awarded uh, this coach who was the coach of the year, the first ever character combine coach of the year. And I read this bio of who this guy is without saying his name and, I love how Casey says it because he starts looking around. Casey goes, I want to meet this guy. And then I go, it's Casey Taylor. And uh, it was his wife said the
2: same thing. (laughs) I want to meet this guy.
3: (laughs) It was funny because, you know, it was the things that I had seen. But Casey said, I didn't recognize those gifts and traits in me the way that you had recognized them. And Casey became an immediate ambassador for Character Combine. And so with that, we um, we've had a great relationship and uh, been involved. I was involved at Del Oro with him doing character talks for probably seven or eight years and uh, love the Loomis community, love Del Oro. And, uh, and it's just been fun to see the journey. And now, as we get in our latter years of life, the second half in our mid-40s, uh, to do life with friends that you've known so long is just remarkable. It's a dream come true for me. I know uh, he feels similar and have shoe involved. It's just real fun.
2: You know, the the one thing about coaching and um, having done all levels at the B over the years, the Kings, we did some you know, pro stuff, a lot of college, still do a all of that. The people say, well, why, why, why do you— co- why do high school coaches take it so serious? you know it's only high school well, that's just it it is high school and i i think the high school coach is the, the the most paramount leader at all levels and you know casey you could speak on this where there's a lot of pressure you're trying to you know yeah there's a there's an ego because there's a scoreboard but the parents can be difficult challenging um kids have real life issues at home i mean Really, in Placer County, absolutely. You mean even at Capital Christian? Yeah, there are kids who have troubled homes. They need mentorship. They need that. That so that's well off the the grid of X's and O's. I mean, so so maybe your biggest work is 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 off the field and just trying to be there for somebody. And you could probably speak about that from your childhood, where to have. Male figures of positive influence are, are paramount. They're going to really be shaping your life.
1: No doubt about it. And I was just, just going to go there. You know, I think going my, with my dad not being around, he was there early when, when Jason and I first met doing Little League. And uh, kind of, um, you know, when I was 12, 13, kind of went a little sideways. And it was guys like at at, uh, at Oak Ridge, um, Mike Thomas and Gary Hunter, Jim Urich that were – my father figure guys that really got me through it, you know. And then to have a football as a vehicle, nobody in my in my family went to college, but football got me to college. And next thing you know, you're, you're done doing college, and there's a guy like Mark Watson that's coaching it that um, Oak Ridge it brings me in to be a coach, and so now I'm coaching, and then, and okay, I guess I got to teach, so now I still get my teaching credential, and then get into coaching, and it was all those guys, you know, and I think that's what really got me going with Jason and Character Combine was hearing some stats that, you know, 68% of our boys don't have positive male role models, and it really changed my, my trajectory of why am I coaching, you know, and it was kind of, was kind of scared me because I didn't realize the, the influence that we have. You know, on it. So I think that's when I've really taken, you know, using f- football as that vehicle to teach life lessons. That's really what it's about. And I think what's really helped me through, you know, last 10 years is um, when I've ever faced adversity through days of Oro starting off bad or, you know, this season kind of going, I always go back to that and say, why am I doing this? So sometimes when I feel I'm human, I want to point fingers and talk about all my problems. And th- this is why it isn't going this way or that. I just always bring it back in and go, hey, why am I here? I'm here to be that positive no role model some of these kids won't have, you know. And uh, this weekend was a great weekend for me. I was able to see some of my ex-players play some college games. And the great part with my dialogue with them was not necessarily about the X and O's. It was, hey, I miss you, coach. I love you, coach. And I think it's pretty powerful when you have ex-players that can tell you you love them. Um, I just feel like we're in a world today where people don't tell people they love them enough, you know. And, um,
2: and football's you know, a macho thing, but you could love them just as much. There's and no it's doubt. A, it's the ultimate brotherhood, everybody together. And, you yeah. know, Jason, you talk about character and combine character and with the character combine the you know we know there's a scoreboard but it's how they handle victory and defeat and and especially in the playoffs uh somebody's gonna win somebody's gonna lose but that's something that these kids have to learn and then a lot of these kids become parents or coaches or they become part of society um where it's a competitive world it's competitive just to get into college it's competitive to get through college to get jobs um real life
3: Totally, and I think when you look at it, it is a vehicle to teach life lessons, but at the end of the day, I want to ask athletes that I work with three questions when it's all said and done. Uh, do you, are you willing to leave the world better than you found it? Are you practicing inclusion, and are you giving yourself to a cause that's bigger than you? Those three things woven into the tapestry of sports and competition changes everything because I personally believe my number one goal is to teach athletes how to have big, higher levels of empathy because I think empathy is the, the, the key kryptonite to the world's evils. Because if everybody could just see the world through someone else's eyes, everything gets better. And so we're challenging athletes, hey, give yourself to a cause bigger than you. You know, if there's little bickering's going on, go, hey, what's the empathy? What's it feel like to be in his shoes? And I think that uh, it affects all of us. And it has perspective change. You know, we introduced Evening of Dreams a few years ago. Why? Because we want to take these key level athletes and bring them and create a special needs prom where these athletes and these campus leaders would be the host dates of students who otherwise would never get to go to prom. And, you know, we thought, wow, the athletes will be doing us a great favor to be their host of dates of these. And when they got there, we realized that we were the ones that were being blessed by the information or by the event. These athletes walked out of that place. I'm talking, you know, the athletes that we're talking about, Jake Browning and, you know, Brandon Monroe from, day, I mean, on and on. You go down the list of who's been at a uh, date. Uh, they're playing in college athletes all over America.
2: Uh, and NFL guys. And- yeah,
3: it's just amazing. And so they, they go back and you ask a lot of them, what's your number one memory of high school football? And they say evening of dreams.
2: No, and in real life. And, you know, we, um, one of the great coaches that you guys too, both know well is Mike Albergini over at Grant. And tough area in Del Paso Heights trying to get kids to buy in, be together. Very um, influential role model for these, these students. And every year he will tell his kids, piggybacking what you said here, Jason, if you see any bullying on campus, you stop it. There's nothing cool about that. And kids... At this school in Del Paso Heights, respect the football players. And if you see somebody roughing up somebody, you stop it. That's right, because Step they in. will listen to you. This is your school, and we're not going to allow that. And they don't have a lot of fights on campus because the football players. Are, there's they a lot regulate. of them, and and I think that's a great attitude. You know, what, what's there's nothing cool about bullying. So don't don't allow it. Don't be part of it, uh, because you represent. Um, you know, Grant football, you, you represent Sacramento, much like if it's a Capital Christian kid or, or somebody at Deloro, they're representing a lot. And we've talked about this on social media. Some kids can't handle social media. Some some of them are too mouthy. They're too belligerent. They're too angry. Um, underestimating how powerful of a tool and the message that social media can be, especially if you want to, you know, every year, hey, how many, who, who wants to play in college? Everybody. Who wants to get a good job? Everybody. Well, then keep it clean on social media. Yeah, but that's for me and my boys. Well, then you're not mature
3: enough to be
2: in the real world then.
3: I think what uh, separates Capital Christian from many great schools is that our athletes, we have them for football, we have them on a social media contract where they have to have us as a friend on Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter. They have to befriend us. We have access to watch and to view, and they give us permission to hold them accountable. And we constantly are telling them accountability is not a lack of trust. It's verification of your importance to us. You mean so much to us. We have to hold you accountable because we love you, and we don't want 140 characters to destroy a $140,000 scholarship. So with that being said, uh, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, capital is this little, little Christian school over on the highway. Well, we are a Christian school, but we have big dreams and in addition to that you know um we want people to be able to see who we are and learn what we're about it's not all for it's not just a school for this group or that group it's very diverse uh, remarkably diverse it's a
2: slice of the real world when i did that story for the b earlier this year you know here's this big time coach at a a school thinking big um and we went into the athletic director's office suzanne baker one of the best in the business and how do you suzanne how do you deal with you know, these transfers and the, these incoming calls and, and people shopping their kids around. They will – people shop their kids around. And people, oh, is this, are these transfers legit? And she said, we invite people to see if we've made any mistakes because we want to be in the up and up. And that's a great attitude. Because when you when you coach at a private school, oh, they recruit, they recruit, they recruit. Well, the program may recruit itself. And, you, you know, Bob Latasura, the, the famed coach at De La Salle, he's not out there in a yellow bus – Picking up kids or talking to people—I mean, the, the, you know—it happens. But that's that's the legacy. You you heard it when you were at at, at Delaware. Oh, they're 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 scooping up guys and all that. So so one thing about athletics at any level is the envy and the competition will make people lash out. And, and you got to roll with that too. And we just and don't, sometimes we, social media is a big part of and that. And we
3: don't take it personal. We say, hey, you know what? Comment like you, like Suzanne said, come and, and look and see what's going on. But come also take a tour of the campus. You know, there's people that we'll we'll invite out to our open house on November third. It's Friday night. We'll say, hey, come out. You don't even have to consider our school. But if you just want to see what the inner workings is like, feel what the culture is like, feel what the family environment is like, come on out because they'll come at four o'clock on November third and they'll they'll see the school. They'll talk to teachers. They'll see the families. They'll see the diversity. of 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 economic backgrounds families that have made great sacrifice to have their kids there they'll have dinner together and then they'll go out and watch the game and it'll just be an amazing night but we just we we welcome people to say hey uh, you're doing this and that, and we just respond with kindness, and we also say, hey, listen, I think excellence is really contagious and attractive, and when you're putting something together that's excellent on the field and off the field, and you're building life lessons into competition, I just know parents are going to make great sacrifices to get their kid in that environment, so I appreciate you guys letting us talk about, you know, the player development aspect, because if it's not happening in X and O's, and that's where I want to be.
2: You know, and one thing about, we flush it out even more, you talk about high school football in general in Sacramento. Sacramento's unique in that it's different than the Bay Area and different than the Los Angeles, San Diego metropolitan areas, and even Orange County, where the private schools do not dominate the football landscape here. Every once in a while, Christian Brothers had some good teams in the 70s and 80s. Jesuit had a couple of good teams in the 90s. Uh, Capital Christian has done really well in the smaller level. I think it's refreshing. You know, If down in the Bay Area, it is De La Salle and Bellerman, St. Francis, uh, Valley Christian. Down in LA, it's uh, Modern Day and Oaks Christian, you know, schools that you guys know. Um, here, it's been Folsom, Del Oro, Grant, Elk Grove, Sac High, uh, Indercum, Granite Bay, Rockland, Oak Ridge. Um, with the rise of Capital Christian, making a, you know, Del Camp is another good school. Um, I think it's just going to add to it. It's going to make it fun. People like to play against the private school. People like to watch that, and people like to root for it or root against it, whether it's Christian Brothers, Jesuit, and now Capital Christians, totally in this argument. So that's just going to add some good element to it. Down in the Stockton area, Modesto area, you have St. Mary's of Stockton, which has done really well in, across the board in Central athletics. Catholic. And Central Catholic in Modesto has done really well in football. And you know, so it just it just kind of adds a a layer of intrigue without it dominating. But knowing Casey and knowing Jason, they want to close that gap and take on Jesuits and take on a De La Salle, take on a Modern Day, and I think the fans in Sacramento, if that ever happens, where you're playing a Modern Day or De La Salle or an Oaks Christian, the Sacramento fans will suddenly start rooting for. Capital Christian, so let's, let's let's us as Sacramento go on. Let's win that game.
3: We were blown away at the number of people that came out um, to the Grant game and just filled the stadium because they were excited to see it. You know, it was kind of a myth busting night because people say, "Oh, well, recruiters never come from colleges to your school." Well, this this spring we had twenty eight D one schools come through. And, you know, some of them said that Capitol versus Grant was going to be one of the biggest games of the year because so many D1 athletes would be on the field. And we've seen now our fan base is starting to increase with people that have no connection to the school. But we're not marketing the football program to the church. We're not marketing to school families. We want to market the football program's Friday night experience to the city.
2: And, and, and Capitol Christian has players that can start at any program in Northern California. Evan Bennett, two-way lineman, who's going to be a Division One recruit. He's only a junior. Uh, Maurice Gaines types, um, um, Christian Simmons will still probably go somewhere, even though he missed most of this year with it with a leg. Demarcus Ross, I mean, players are players, and um, but you're right; those theories are old. Um, and Casey remembers the days where, oh, Division Two, II, Division Three, you know, they're they're nice guys, but they can't hang with Division One. Well, that's all merged together now.
3: I think next year, our preseason, our non-league. It just makes the area better. It, makes, it, it next, makes this
2: area a hotbed.
3: Next year, our non-league, potentially, we may have three SFL teams in our in our, in our schedule. You know? So, Oak Ridge. Oak Ridge. Um, Grant would be SFL. And then right. we're still in talks with some other schools. Good. Uh, SFL. Because we want to play the best to
0: be the best.
2: I'm only a text away, man. Keep me posted.
0: <laughs> and I think uh, the best way, really, to wrap everything up, uh, especially for you, uh, Jason, and, and for you, uh, Coach Taylor, is... A lot of people, unfortunately, want to separate the, the athlete from the person, Almost, and, and sometimes the athletes fall into that own category to where as soon as the pads or the helmet or the jersey comes on, uh, for some reason, my personal life doesn't matter as much or who I am off the field has zero effect on on the X's and O's or how I perform on the field, both of your philosophies try and, and bridge that gap. So uh, kind of a two-part question. One, how important is it to bridge that gap? And then number two, how do you bridge that gap with with high school athletes that, quite frankly, are, are going through a lot of development growing up, everything that comes with it? How do you bridge that gap?
3: I would say first and foremost, it's imperative to bridge that gap. If you're not bridging the gap, I think we may be short-sighted in coaching. Uh, we've got to bridge the gap because the football will last – you know, a few years, but the character of that athlete will last forever. That's why we hammer so hard on grades, uh, because we feel that they're student athletes. They're not athlete students, they're student athletes. And so we want to make sure that they're getting their classes done and doing things right. How do you bridge the gap? I think it comes down to absolute detail management and accountability and being in their world. Um, they don't care about what, you know, until that old cliche, until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. And, and, and as long as you can get in a student's life and pull them in in the good, the bad, the ugly times, they're going to respond to your leadership. And we have some really down and dirty, tough conversations that all stem around accountability. And again, it's not a lack of trust. I love you as a student. But it's your. I'm verifying to you that you matter to me. Therefore, I cannot allow these things to happen without being checked. And they respond. We have amazing students. Amazing students, uh, not perfect, but amazing because their hearts are teachable, their spirits are humble. And when they do start to get a little cocky, they'll get chin checked real quick. And you know, and that turns out. I, anything else? I'd I I
1: just. I would just say it's really back to that relational, building the relationships with them and letting them know you care. I think that's a uh, very key, and uh, that's one thing that really amazes me over at uh, you know since I've been there is, um, you know, every day I'll come home and, uh, you drive and just learn something else about a kid's uh, you know how they were brought up or something happened in their life or some adversity they faced or learning people's stories and I think you really got to take a great coach just take that little extra time to uh, make those connections because um, you got to find out their stories because I mean there's some kids that uh, you know you find out their stories through the season and you know the first month and a half you're wondering why they're they're struggling and showing up a little bit late or doing some things and you're kind of a little frustrated with them and then you dig in and really find out what they were about and the adversity they're facing and you're just so happy they're there mm-hmm. and you realize that they they need to be there. You know, if they're not with us, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. So I think that it's very important, you know, like we've been saying the whole time is, you know, it's really diving in and getting to know these kids. And that, that's the number, again, that's the number one, that's our number one, number one part of our program is making a difference off the field. And uh, what we've found through our experiences, do, you know, with Character Combine and where I've been before, you know, when we've had kids that have done things right off the field, the football takes care of itself. You know, it really does. It's, uh, it's winning off the field, not on the field. And, uh, you know, there's different ways of doing it and holding people accountable, you know, and it, I think that's another problem we have today in society. People want to be held accountable, they say, but it's got to be on their terms, you know, and that's not it, you know, so we have no problem. Uh, people not doing things right. We're going to sit you down, not play a game. We I have no problem with that. And we got to hold each other accountable. If it means winning games or not winning any games, we got to do it the right way. Or we're not going to do it at all. So I think that's going to be a big part about what we're about and where we're building the program, and you know all the things bringing up, want to play with these teams. Yeah, we want to be there, but we're going to do it the right way. And you know we hope it's a quick track there, but if it takes us longer or quicker or what have you, we're going to do it the right way and building that foundation, you know brick by brick to make sure we have a good base so we can go on and do some great things here in the next few years.
0: Well, moral of the story is, I mean, we all know this, and, and hopefully more people are learning that sports goes beyond just a game or a period of time or a scoreboard. There's so many lessons to be taught and so many lessons to be learned. And we've seen so many athletes uh, and young men grow into men, uh, through athletics and through the lessons that really only sports can teach. So gentlemen, fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. The three of you, uh, for joining us. I hope you, the listeners have enjoyed this conversation. It's been phenomenal. We'll have to get these three in here together, uh, to continue this conversation later on in a later episode. But we look forward to the Mesa Verde game on Friday. Hopefully, uh, finishing the season with one more win locking down the championship for for Capital Christian and Capital Christian only and then we look forward to playoffs Coach thank you so much uh, Jason, Joe you guys are fantastic thank you all uh, for the conversation thank you for coming in
3: thanks Matt